0: It is so good to be with you uh, here today. For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is John, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so good to have you here. Those of us that are, uh, those of you that are worshiping online, and those of you uh, in the room—what great to have a full house in the middle of July! Praise God for that. Good to see all of you here this morning. So good to have you. Here, if uh, if we haven't had a chance to connect, I would love to do that uh, after the service. And I just want to echo and remind you this morning that it is no accident that God led you to this place, and we have been praying for you. I don't know about you, but clips like that get me excited for the Olympics. Are there any Olympics fans out there? Oh man, it's coming! Did you know that we've not only waited four years, but five years now? The Olympics is finally coming. We're excited about that. Uh, I don't know if any of you uh, really get into that and you go all out for these sports that you watch once every four years and you say, I'm a really big fan of that or whatever. But I I get excited about clips like that. The one you saw was actually not from the Olympics. It was from the 2015 World Championships. And you had uh, the defending champions, the Jamaicans, they always win, uh, because they have Usain Bolt, who's like the world's fastest man, Uh, pretty well agreed on there. And so the Americans have this huge upset uh, and they beat them and it gets your, your blood Going and get your heart racing a little bit, but so what we often misunderstand about relay races, and we have several uh, track stars in our church community. You may not know that, but of the many things that Hope Elam is known for, we have a couple state champion track stars in our community. So that's pretty awesome, Uh, pretty exciting. (laughs) Different different ages, different different levels, and all of that. But something that they will tell you is that a big common myth or misunderstanding about relay races is that they think the most important thing is how fast you run. And that's very, very important. Those guys are really, really fast. But what is the one thing that you have to do in a relay race? Just shout it out. What do you have to do? Pass Pass the baton, right? That is the most important thing. Or another way of looking at it is don't drop the baton, right? If you drop the baton, you're done. The race is over. And the same is true in our faith as well. The same is true for you and I, and the same is true in our scripture reading today, and what we're going to find is that that baton pass is just as important. When we think about passing that baton, not just in a race, but I want to talk about this today. This is an official Olympics baton that I found in my basement last night, but it's pretty close. What does this look like in terms of our faith? And I will tell you this, the reason why this topic is so important is that we will not be The most effective church that we can be for the kingdom of God here in the city of Des Moines unless we do that. And that exchange and that baton hands off not just in way bigger than a track meet or the world championships or even the Olympics. So we're talking about today and that baton handoff is even more important when it comes to impacting people's lives for eternity. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read all about a baton handoff in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that Jen just read for us today in our scripture reading. We're one of those crazy churches. If you're new to us, we actually get out our Bibles on Sunday morning and encourage you to follow along. And I don't care if it's on pen and paper, if it's on your phone, but you can get your Bible out and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and that's what we're going to be digging into in some of the new testament today. Paul is writing to Timothy, kind of a young protege of his and Timothy helped they both planted this church in Ephesus and so Paul is now writing back to to Timothy. They've planted this church and so Paul is now writing from a distance to encourage Timothy in the faith and it's not just any kind of relationship. What we read is that Paul and Timothy, uh, and this could be a a female-to-female relationship uh, as well, which we see all throughout leadership in the Bible as well. But in this specific sense, Paul has been specifically investing in Timothy. They're not just partners in ministry and planting all these churches. They're not just colleagues, but there has been an intentional investment, dare I say, a baton handoff, that has taken place and is taking place in this moment as Paul writes to and encourages Timothy to the point where, look at verse 2, and you may have overlooked that. Don't skip over the greetings of Paul's letters. Often we do that, but in verse 2, Paul writes and says this, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And just so you're wondering, they are not related. (laughs) Timothy is not Paul's biological son, but when you've spent that much time And invested so much of your life in someone, it feels like a father-son, mentor-mentee type of relationship that's going on here. And there is a baton of faith that is being passed right before our eyes from Paul to Timothy. Paul is saying, I'm here to pass it. Everybody say, pass it. it. Oh, say it like you mean it. Say, pass it. it. That baton of faith is being passed. And it's not just from Paul to Timothy as well, but we read a little bit further. Look at verse 5. Paul says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So the ladies are getting in on the action here, okay? And I know that that same faith now continues in you. So there has been an intentional investment taking place. And we don't know where the men in Timothy's life ended up, where his grandpa and his father and all of that. But what we do know is that these women have invested in Timothy. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago on Father's Day, is that we can be spiritual mothers and fathers for younger people in the church, even if we're not biological mothers and fathers. Anybody can be a mother in the faith. Any man can be a father in the faith, and that's what's taking place here. And if that doesn't happen, if if those women don't take a specific interest in Timothy to lay hands on him, to fan that flame of his faith, to invest in him, Then thousands of people are not impacted. So many more churches are not planted. And heaven is not much more crowded. But because they did that, Timothy had an incredible faith and an incredible career. Now, just a word to parents and grandparents and really to all of us. And I want to say that as a lot of times I will speak to parents with younger kids or I will speak to uh, those of you maybe with teenagers in the house. But really when we talk about being a family of God, And we look at the the neighborhoods and the city around us. I want us to shift our mindset as a church to not think, oh, that's somebody else's kids. When we do Vacation Bible School in a little less than a week here, the hundreds of kids that fill up this space, they are our kids, amen, as a church family. They're not somebody else's kids. They're our kids as a church. They're our kids because they're God's kids, and that's why we care about them. But I do want to speak for a moment to those of you that have younger kids in the home or your grandparents or really for all of us. We can teach our kids lots of things. We can teach our kids how to ride a bike, teach our kids how to get really good grades and study and maybe get a college scholarship. You can teach them how to run fast or throw a ball and maybe make that traveling all-star team to to read and study and get straight A's, even to to learn right from wrong or good morals or values or healthy habits, and those are all good things. But if we truly love our kids, hear me say this loud and clear this morning, the greatest gift that you can give them is a relationship with Jesus Christ, because that is the only thing that is going to last for eternity, Amen. That is the greatest gift that you can give. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at this up on the screen. Let's read it nice and loud together. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture says and he goes on from there. Paul's indicating that there's been this passing of the baton that's been going on from generation to generation. Everything else that I just mentioned... Everything you could teach your kids, everything we could invest in the next generation at some point or another is going to fade. I've done way too many funerals to know you can't put those things in the casket. They're not going to last forever. There's no U-Hauls attached to hearse. Amen? You can't take it with you. At the end of the day, the only things that matter is a relationship with the people that you had around you that are probably sitting next to you right now and a relationship with your Creator. That is the only thing that is going to last, and that is why we start investing in our kids and our youth here at Hope Elam very, very early. In fact, you may not know this, but we have a tremendous, spectacular, effective preschool called Hope Elam Preschool that meets here during the school year and a fantastic staff that does a great job investing in kids, get this, from age two all the way through transitional kindergarten. And Molly Logan, our preschool director, is going to be here today. She's going to be at the Nook. You might know it as the place you get your caffeine in the morning, uh, out in the lobby. Uh, She'll be out there, and if parents, if you have kids, or grandparents, if you have grandkids that might be interested in that, they are taking applications, registrations right now. Both of our children have gone to this preschool uh, and have had an incredible experience. You may not know, but so much of our psychology, so much of our brain development happens before age five. Did you know that? So why would we not start investing now? That's why we take that so seriously. So after the service today, go out there and, and talk to Molly at the Nook. The question is, how do we all pass that baton? Some of you are like, okay, I want to do that. I want to lead in my family spiritually. I want to be the, the primary spiritual leader in my home. But how, how, do you, how do you do that? You pray with your kids every single day. Even if you feel like parents, grandparents, you don't know how. You pray with your kids. You read the Bible with them every day. You bring them to worship weekly. You bring them to, to Power Life and Ignition, our student ministry, or to send, encourage them as they go to college that you are going to go to Kairos, our college ministry that is spreading around the state as well. We have a whole row of uh, cabin leaders and staff members from Riverside Bible Camp over here, by the way. Over here. You send them to Bible camp. If you love your kids, you'll send them to camp. Amen? You send them to camp over there. They're kind of loud and boisterous over there, so you've got you to gotta look out for them. You send them to vacation Bible school to experience the love of Jesus Christ. There have been multiple studies that have shown that kids growing up are eight times more likely to keep the faith when they grow up and leave the home if they have worshiped weekly and if they have four to five positive adult spiritual influences in their life. It's not all up to you. That's why we have a church family. They are watching you. And I'm not just talking about parents and grandparents. I'm talking about us as a church family. They are watching you, and they are listening to you. My six-year-old daughter, Evie, I'm putting her to sleep. I'm rubbing her, uh, rubbing her back a little bit, and I'm singing some of my songs, and usually the ones that come are camp songs, because those are the ones that I have memorized, and I'm singing them to. And then all of a sudden, it gets quiet, and she says, Daddy, stop, Daddy, stop. And those of you that have been around the last month, you might recognize this. six-year-old just starts going. So we lift you high, Yahweh, Yahweh. Six. And I'm telling you this. She is not singing that word for word as it continued because she's a pastor's kid. She's singing it because she listens to you worship. And she watches you, and her and hundreds of other kids in our church and our community are looking to you as adults saying, what does it look like to be on fire for Jesus Christ, to have a fire in your belly when you're 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80, and all the way up, and to not let that flame leave you. She's watching you. They're watching you. And lest you think this is all about young kids as well, it would be helpful to know that as Paul is writing all these letters to Timothy, particularly if you go to the book of 1 Timothy, and you know the, the famous passage uh, as Paul's writing to Timothy, is don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. That word for young is neotios. It's kind of fun to say. Everybody say neotios in the Greek, and it literally means Youthfulness. So when I do a children's sermon and I say anybody that's young or young at heart can come up, this would apply to many of you. So this is good news if you're feeling a little older or in that category, okay? Neoteos literally means youthfulness. There's no age assigned to that in Scripture. In fact, when that is used, that word is often used to describe people in their 20s, 30s, and older. In fact, biblical scholars would widely agree that when Paul is writing this to Timothy at this stage, Timothy is probably in his lower 30s. So lest you think that this is being written to the preschoolers, for those of you that are in your teens, your 20s, and your 30s, you are our Timothys. The baton is being passed to you. And this is an important truth that I don't want you to miss. None of us are beyond needing a mentor. None of us have graduated from the need to pass the faith or receive the faith. Amen? I was talking to one of my mentors the other day and getting some wisdom and some counseling for him and we had to end our session and I said, what do you have going on next the rest of the day? He's in his mid-50s and he said, I'm going to meet with my mentor. What does that say? As he's passing the baton back to me, he's reaching ahead and somebody is passing it to him. You never graduate from Christianity, amen? I don't know what version of Christianity you grew up in or what your experience was in the church, but one of our values at Hope Elam is that Christianity is a growing experience. Nobody's wearing a cap and gown here today. None of us graduate from that. Say, oh, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. You finish the race strong and you pass The baton, life is a relay race, and every single one of us is called to give and to receive. And what I want to explore with the rest of our time today is three keys of how to make that baton handoff. Because it doesn't happen by accident, I will tell you that. The largest demographic missing in most churches, and thank God not here, is 18 to 35. And that is not the case at Hope Elam. Because we believe that you are not just the future of the church, you are the church now. And we need you. And so wherever you're at on that spectrum, and I'll let you decide if you're more of a Paul or if you're more of a Timothy, I'll let you decide that today, but I think a lot of this will apply to both of us. How does that baton handoff take place in our Christian life? The the first key is this. Both runners are needed in the race. Now, that might seem overly simplistic and kind of a, oh, duh, but far too often what we do in the church is that we separate the generations, and we say, well, you can't have anything to do with you, and, and, and once you reach a certain age, then, then the older men or the older women are going to do their thing over here, and the younger men and younger women are going to do that over here. Now, don't get me wrong. We have age-based, season-of-life-based ministries here for a reason, because you connect with people that are at a similar stage of life to you, but I will tell you this. Some of our most effective small groups at Hope Elam have multiple decades and are intergenerational involved in those groups, Why? Because we need each other. Amen? We don't think that we do, and far too often the older generations think they have nothing to offer, and the younger generations think they don't need it. But we both need each other. Spiritual maturity is also not based on your physical age. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You can grow up, you can grow old and never really grow up. Amen? Spiritual maturity is about an internal uh, growth and transformation of becoming whole generations need each other and if I could just speak for a moment to those of you in your late teens your 20s your 30s we need you in the race I'm just going to tell you that right now I love the fact that in the last four months our, our our hope kids has grown from about 10 to about 55 praise God in the last couple weeks there's more and more families coming and that is awesome and I can tell that you're, you're, you're taking that seriously and that you're investing that in your kids and that's why we take Vacation Bible School so seriously. And I'm thankful that we're a church that's filled with multiple generations, but I want to challenge you this morning. It's one thing to be present and it's another thing to engage. There's something that gets inside of us that says I'm going to let these decades of my 20s and 30s just kind of, I'm just going to kind of float in and float out. It's kind of a hot air balloon season of life. I'm going to check out this church and then float over here and not commit to anything. And then I'm going to float down here and touch base and check out. I'm not really going to commit to anything because FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. What if something better comes up? There is nothing better than the life-changing love of Jesus Christ, so find a local church and plug in. Amen? Use your gifts. Be the church now. You're not going to find anything else. You're not going to miss out on anything if you're studying God's word, if you're praying, if you're engaging in Christian community, and you're serving. That's what we're called to do. Looking back over the last couple decades of my life, and I, I can tell you there was a certain point where it shifted, and all of a sudden I realized this isn't about my parents' faith anymore. Is it real for me? And so for those of you in that, those seasons of life, I want to challenge you with that, to put your roots down. Timothy did not have to spend time with Paul. He could have said, you old man, I'm going to plant way more churches than you're going to plant. I'll write more books of the Bible than you. I don't, I don't need you. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your experience. And so I just want to challenge you, those that are in your 20s and 30s specifically, who's investing in you? Who's investing in you? Who's challenging you? And I, I'm asking you that question, not what YouTube videos are you're watching. Because I get it. I'm there. I'm in that middle generation, <laughs> this weird middle generation that I kind of feel like a millennial and I kind of don't. I kind of grew up with technology, but I kind of did didn't, so I, I get it. And I'm telling you this, this sermon's going to be on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, and I get that. But there is a difference between consuming information and letting somebody have access to your life and challenge you. All of us need that, by the way, but I want to specifically challenge those of you that are in our season of life. And maybe you've discovered this, there's a big difference between consuming information and letting somebody into your life and specifically offer you high challenge in your life, and you've maybe discovered this hard truth, you cannot consume your way to spiritual maturity. And it is so easy to do. I get it, because it's safe to hide behind my phone. And it's safe to hide behind that next YouTube preacher that's out there, because he's probably skinnier and better looking than I am, I'll tell you that. And he's probably got better theology. But you know what he can't do? Is reach through that screen and say, how are you today? What are your fears? What are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with? Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to confess? You need people in your life to do that. Now at the end of these decades I'm looking back now getting closer to my 40s and I remember in my late 20s I had a mentor I was looking ahead to my 30s. And those of you by the way that this that's well in your rearview mirror you can get this back by the way. You can get this back. A mentor said, John, you are going to be tempted in your 30s to believe the call of the world to climb the ladder, to build skyscrapers, to own companies, to own businesses, to make lots of money, to climb the ladder, and to build your platform. But he said, I want to challenge you with a thought that what if your 30s were a time of letting Jesus build your platform by being a man or woman of integrity? of being faithful, of worshiping, of praying, of reading your Bible, of serving, of getting over yourself and looking to the needs of others and let God build your platform. Amen? What if instead your 20s and 30s were decades instead of building up, they were decades of excavation where you dig down deep and you uproot the lies that your faith has been based on for the first fourth of your life and you start to rebuild your faith on the foundation of God's love. And not on the wounds and the lies that have been given to you about what church is or what Christianity is or a bad relationship or a bad experience that you had with the church and start with excavation and let God build you up. What if you used your 20s and 30s as a time to develop a character that could sustain your calling? What if you used those years not to run around and float around and fear of missing out and bounce from this church to that church and you plugged in and you made yourself a part of community and you said, I want to be the type of man or woman that can be entrusted with the kingdom of God when that mantle of leadership is placed upon me. That's my challenge for you. I don't think our issue in the church is that we ask younger generations too much. I think we ask younger generations too little. You are the church right now, and I'm speaking to myself and my generation. We need you. To those of us that are earlier on in the journey, be willing to receive the baton. Amen? Now, in the same way, Paul had to believe that he had something to offer Timothy. He could have checked out as well. So for those of you that are farther along in your journey, we need you as well. You are needed in the church, and dare I say, this is when we need you the most. And I'm going to let you decide what farther along the journey means for you, okay? Whether that's far from retirement or after retirement or whatever that is. Because as the church, our tendency is, often in life, as we get closer to the end of that race and we're running with the baton, the tendency is for us to just kind of mail it in, to coast to the finish line. What happens if the last runner in that relay race just sort of says, ah, we got a decent enough lead, They don't win. That's not how you win the race of life. And so for those of you that are farther along, this is not the time to coast or put your feet up. And certainly it's a time to think about who's coming up behind you. And I want to challenge you with this, whether you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever it is, whatever you think you've been there and done that and you've put in your best time and your best years are behind you. What if the next five years were your best five years? What if your next five years were your most dangerous years for the kingdom of God that you've ever had? Yes, I'm not calling you out. Your heavenly father is calling you out saying there is so much more in you. And you may not, it's not being wild and crazy up on a stage. It might be sitting across from a coffee shop with a younger man and a younger woman saying, I don't have it all together, but follow me as I follow Christ. And I will tell you this, there are hundreds of young men and women in this congregation and in this community that are looking to you saying, I know you have don't have it all together, but I need your help. I need your wisdom. Because you've had kids because you've, you've grown companies, because you've led other people, because you've invested. I need that wisdom. And they may never say it with their mouths, but they're crying out for it with their lives. You have what it takes. I mean, think about it. I was looking through Scripture, and a lot of the men and women that God uses in significant ways, God did his best work in them during the back half, or dare I say back three quarters of their life. Think about this. Abraham, when he left Ur, right? God says, you're going to be the father of many generations and starts out on this journey that would then become the Exodus and God's people and eventually a savior being born from his family. When Abraham left Ur, he was 70. When God called Moses at the burning bush to go and set God's people free, out of Egypt, and lead them out on the most significant endeavor of his life. He was 80. So for those of you here today, there's hope. Turn to each other and say, there's hope for you. Tell them that right now. You're not, we're not done with you yet. But far too often, we look at that in the church and we say, been there, done that. Paul could have very easily said, I'm, I'm getting to the end of my ministry, and so I'm just going to get coast. Instead, Paul says, I'm going to run with intentionality. I'm going to run with purpose. God's word says that not all runners (laughs) run in a way as to get the prize. Are you living your life with purpose and intentionality today, or are you just floating in and floating out? Are you haphazardly going through the end of your life? Do you assume that your best years are behind you? I've heard it said that as parents, as grandparents, as those that are investing in the next generation, the most significant thing that you might do with your life is not something that you do, but somebody that you raise. Or that maybe the fruit of your life will grow on somebody else's tree. It's not all about you. It might be the person you're sitting next to. It might be the person that's sitting at home right now that refuses to come to church. And I was that kid. I was that church generation pastor's kid. And the last thing that I wanted to do was go to church. But my parents drugged me there. They fed me Cheerios for 18 years. And here I am. All right. Called parenting. Boy, if I had a nickel for how many times I've said, I don't care what you feel like, we're going. We're doing it. Parents, amen. amen. It's hard. I get it. I was a teenager once. I've been there, done that. But often, what I hear from many of you that, that would be Paul's is sort of this aw shucks mentality. I, I could never lead a small group. I could never lead anything in the church. I, I could never lead a group for Hope Kids or Vacation Bible School or Student Ministry. I, I can't mentor somebody. I, 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 I don't even have it all together myself. I hear this all the time. But I would be a hypocrite for me to try to invest in somebody. I don't have it all together, so who am I to judge you? We're not asking you to judge them. That's God's job. We're asking you to love them. We're asking you to sit with them and to be with them. Part of that I don't know, aw mentality, I think is that we're Iowan, and we're churchy people, and because of that, we're really nice. We're really nice. And I'm pointing the finger back at myself, because that's me too. And some of us are Scandinavian, so we're really nice. But nice was never meant to be passive. And I see this in older generations. There is a lot of self-deprecation running around disguised like humility. Self-deprecation is not godly. Courage is. It's not humility if you're constantly belittling the image of God that's put inside of you. Those of you in your 50s and 60s and 70s, we need you. We need you. Don't just come and consume. Just as I said to the younger generations, we need you in the game, running the race, or that baton cannot get passed off. And I will tell you this, younger generations, myself included, and it doesn't matter if you're 5 or 35, they're not looking for perfection. They're looking for authenticity. I can tell you studies upon studies upon articles upon articles that I've been reading about church growth in a post-pandemic world. The churches that are growing are not the ones that are the biggest and the flashiest and have the coolest buildings and lights and smoke and fog and loud music. The churches that are growing are the churches that are real and authentic. That you walk in and praise God, Hope Elam is this kind of church where you walk in and we're real and we're in love with Jesus and we don't care who knows it. That's the kind of church that we want to be. We're not looking for perfection, we're looking for authenticity, so I wonder what's holding you back, what's getting in the way of you running the race today, either, whatever generation you find yourself into today. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 5, let's read this together, you were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? So in those days, Paul's writing to the church in Galatia and what they're struggling with is a lot of fall teachers, but what I would say is replace that who with what. <laughs> what is holding you back? What is getting in the way of you running the race today? And some of you, honestly, you're like, baton, hand. I, I can't handle the baton. I'm not even in the race. You're right, you're not. And I wasn't for a while too. There was a couple months in the middle of the pandemic where I said, I don't know how to be the pastor of this church. This is really hard. Cuz I can't be with the people that God's entrusted to my care and I love you and I miss you and that's still the case some days. But for a lot of you, you've been sitting on the sidelines for about 17 months now. And it's time to get back in the race. What is tripping you up? What's getting in the way for you? All of us have something obstacles at time and that's the next thing that we've got to do the second key to passing the baton of faith is to remove any obstacles. In a very humorous way, it reminds me, this was a long time ago, but I remember like it was yesterday because, boy, things like this don't happen every day. But I was in high school. I was not, uh, I was not in track. I don't run unless somebody's chasing me, and that's why I'm a golfer. Okay. <laughs> But a lot of my friends went out for track and it was one of the last track meets, regular season track meets uh, of the season and there was a whole bunch of teams there. And when it's a big long track meet and your event isn't to the end, my buddy, uh, my buddy Matt was uh, running uh, and his uh, last event was at at the very end. And so you sit in the middle uh, of the, the track and field, the football field there and you have all of your warm up gear on and then you just wait and you got plenty of time until the announcer calls your name and you go over to the starting blocks. Well, the race was about to start, he's in the 400 meters, and that's the last event, and so the announcer starts calling off, you know, lane number one, lane number two, and he starts calling it out, and then he gets to lane number five, and it's Matt, and where is Matt? In the infield, talking to the girls from the rival school, because that's where you want to be when you're, I kid you not, when your event is starting. And all of a sudden, our track coach realizes it, and he takes off. I hadn't seen him run that fast in a while. And he takes off, and he grabs Matt from the horse collar, from the back of his hooded sweatshirt, with all of his warm-up gear still on, lost track of time with the ladies, and starts dragging him and saying... I don't know what he said to him, but he said, you get your tail end over there and says, get going. And so Matt's running over, and they're all kind of waiting, and the other track, you know, the schools are like, what is going on? You know, everybody's ready to go home, and Matt's running over there. And simultaneously, he's running and trying to get his warm-up gear off, and he gets to the starting blocks, but he's still got his pants on, kind of like saggy uh, sweatpants or track outfit or something like that, and he can't get them off, and so he just gets in the starting block. And the guy with the gun that's going to start the race doesn't realize that his pants are still on. And so, okay, start, and off goes the 400 meters. And he starts running. He's doing fine for about the first 400 meters. The problem is with saggy warm-up clothes is that they sag. And about 100 meters into the race, they just start falling down his pants. And all of a sudden, his sprint turns into kind of a waddle. And he's just like, I kid you not, this happened. And the whole, the whole stands are just laughing and going crazy, except Matt, right? He's like, what am I going to do? I can't stop. And so he's kind of humbling and kind of trying to get him off. And finally, I'll never forget this. Everybody's just screaming. He stops on the side of the track. He takes them off around his track shoes and just chucks his warm-up outfit to the side and takes off and finishes only to finish dead last. <laughs> the moral of the story is twofold. Number one. Don't talk to girls from the rival school. (laughs) Number two, when you are in an important race, you better get rid of anything that is tripping you up. Anybody got anything that's tripping them up today? Anybody have anything that's holding them back? Paul talks about this exact same thing. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read it nice and loud together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Ever since that, my junior year of high school and witnessing Matt, that image of him chucking his warm-up clothes onto the bleachers off the side of the track, I will never read Hebrews 12, one the same. It's messed me up for good. But I tell you that to ask you this, what do you need to throw off today? What is tripping you up? What is getting in the way of you running the race? For some of you, it's guilt over something from the past. For some of you, it's church hurt. For some of you, it's that self doubt this morning that no matter this pep talk I'm giving you, you're like, I can't lead because I'm disqualified. There is one person that gets to decide whether you are qualified or not, and that is the God that created you this morning, that put his image inside of you. He gets to decide if you're qualified. His love is bigger than your sin. His grace is wider than your mistakes. And whatever it is that's tripping you up today, stop stop on this Sunday morning in the middle of July and let him take it off and leave it at the foot of the cross because that's where it belongs. Amen? You don't have to run with those entanglements anymore. You've got to throw it off. It's not how you were created to live, and you've got to get rid of it so you can do the final key to passing the baton, and that's to actually pass the baton, right? Now, I thought I could try to explain this to you or we could... Do it. So I don't normally do this, but it's summer and we're having fun. So I need a, I need a volunteer. Michael, you're my man, right there. Come on up. Give it up for Michael. There he is. Welcome him up to the stage. All right. Now, I am not a uh, professional uh, track star, and neither neither is Michael. So we're amateurs up here, but we're going to try to do a demonstration for you that has some semblance of spiritual significance. Okay. So. I am, I am running, and, and we're going to set up the relay race here, right? So you've, you've done this before, clearly. Like middle, school. middle school, yeah. So pretty much, you've got it, right? So let's say that Michael is the guy that I'm handing the baton off to, okay? So Michael could be, could be any generation, right? Because we know spiritual maturity has nothing to do with physical age, right? I've seen 20-something guys disciple 70-something guys. I've seen 30-something women disciple 60-something women. It doesn't matter, Okay. So Michael and I, we're investing each other, and I'm getting ready to hand off the baton of faith to him, okay? So I don't know what hand you're supposed to, to, to put it in or whatever, but uh, this is better because we're amateurs. And so I'm going to run, and my understanding of this is that as I slow down, you speed up, and then we got to make that hand off, okay? So let's, let's just give it a shot, okay? Cheer us on or something like that. I don't know. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I don't know, like, we're in the middle of the race, so woo, go, all right, here we go, okay, here we go, here we go, oh, wrong Yeah, there we go, okay, good, good job, okay. Uh, this is an official Olympic baton, by the way, oh, stay up here, stay up here, okay. So now I want you to imagine with me that it's the middle of the Olympics, we've made the 4x100 team for the U.S. or whatever it is, okay, and imagine this happens, okay, we're going into the final leg, you're, you're running the last leg, okay, and I'm ready to hand it off to you, okay, imagine this happens, all right, ready, go. What went wrong? What didn't happen? The baton handoff, right? I had one job to do, and I didn't do it. Give Michael a round of applause, by the way. Nice job, okay? If you saw that in the Olympics, you would look at that guy that I was impersonating and say, what are you thinking? It's not all about you. And the danger is is that you and I will live a version of Christianity that does exactly what I just did there. I'm safe. I'm comfortable. I've got my seat in the worship center. I know people. I know who I'm sitting with at worship. I know who's in my small group. I'm serving. But I'm not taking any time to pass it on. If you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run together. You are not created to run alone. It's not all about you. Servant leaders at Hope Elam every single week have this mentality. Because we're emulating Jesus, right? Servant leader. Servant leaders at Hope Elam every week ask this: I'm going to worship who's coming with me. I got my small group meeting. Who haven't I invited? Which one of my neighbors around me, I don't care if they go to church or if they believe in God or not, which one of my neighbors haven't I talked to in a while? Who can I pray for this week? I'm going to be serving for VBS. Who am I inviting to serve at VBS along with me? Which area, which ministry in the church needs my help the most? I have no experience in it, but I'm going to do it anyway because they're not looking for perfection. They're looking for adults that show up. And here's the best part. You're doing it. You are an incredible church, and as much as I've challenged you today, it's because I'm passionate about it a little bit. As much as I've challenged you today, I want you to know that you're doing it in so many ways. You are an incredible church. This last Wednesday night, I drove into our parking lot here with our two kids, and our son Caleb says, Daddy, where are you going to park? And I go, I don't know, the lot's full on a Wednesday night in the middle of July at a church. Can we give God praise for that? So many different things going on. So we parked on the street, which you can do also to free up spots for other people, which maybe you've had to do. And I'm walking around, and there are hundreds of meals going out to people, and there are hundreds of people sitting down and eating for community night that are completely different and have different backgrounds, but they're eating and they're building relationships together, having a meal together. In here, there's VBS sets being painted, the uh, group that utilizes our, our fourth floor upstairs, Genesis Youth Foundation. There's kids running and screaming through the lobby and the sound of life. I walk upstairs to the chapel for VBS training, and I'm expecting it's, it's middle of the week, it's July, and everybody's gone. Nobody really cares about church in the summer. And I walk up, and that room up there that seats about 125 people, is full with VBS volunteers. Praise God. You're an awesome church. It's a room full of adults that are learning how to love kids. And I couldn't help but think, man, I love this church. Because you know what that screams to me? That you get it. You understand what we're about as a church. You understand our mission. It just screams, church is not about me. It's not just about me and getting my needs met. It's about being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. If you want to have an impact that's bigger than yourself, be a part of something bigger than yourself. Stop navel-gazing Stop living a gospel of sin management and saying, how am I doing compared to other people? Get outside of yourself and serve, and you're doing it in so many ways, in the ways that you pass the baton in preschool. It starts at the youngest age in nursery right now, and those of you that are serving in the nursery, those of you that are investing in your kids that are worshiping at home right now or that will do vacation Bible school online. It's about VBS, it's about student ministry, all of those things. None of that is some big show. And some of you are going to walk in here in less than a week to Vacation Bible School and go, man, there's lights and smoke and fog and sets and loud music and all of that. You want to know why all that's there? Because kids deserve our very best. They deserve our very best. And we go all out for the next generation in this church. Amen? All out. Because they matter to God. They deserve our very best. I will never forget those of you that are kind of like, I don't know about all this. I'm just going to kind of do my adult thing. Two years ago, the last time we did VBS in person, I was, was the camera guy, and I was running around interviewing kids and asking them, hey, hey, buddy, what, you know, what was the, your favorite part of the week? And this seven-year-old boy, what was your favorite part of the week? I'm thinking... The games, the water balloons, the funny skits, the, the music, right? Snack, all the things that seven-year-old boys would love. And you know what he said to me? My favorite part of EBS? My, my shepherd. Getting to hang out with my shepherd, my, my adult leader that just walked around and carried my brown paper bag and helped me go where I needed to go, who, by the way, was 64. And doesn't have Kids. They're our kids because they're God's kids. They're our kids because they're God's kids. And I want to challenge you this week. We have more kids signed up for Vacation Bible School than ever before. Praise God. And because of that, because of that, we need more volunteers than ever before. And there are two areas that we could really use your help with right now. Crafts, which you do not have to be crafty or qualified for. And recreation that you do not have to be athletic for. Clearly, Michael and I have demonstrated that, okay? Crafts and rec. And if you could go home today and sign up for those, those would be awesome. Because that's what men and women of God do. They're not perfect. We don't have all the answers, but we show up. And we're real. And that would be my challenge to you. Truth is, you might think you're doing it for the kids. (laughs) Truth is, they might just change you. They might just transform your life. Hang out with kids once in a while. And then you'll know why Jesus said, this is it. This is the example. Not adults that are too cool for school. Not adults that take their face ser- so seriously that you can't remember the last time you smiled or laughed in church. But kids that say, God loves me more than anything in the world. Okay, I'll believe it. Wholeheartedly. Don't miss that. Came across this random video that I want to show you to end today. That uh, was filmed in London. You'll know by the accents. And shows a bunch of adults who are, get this, I know, shockingly, lonely. That are all sitting by themselves in a public space, in a restaurant or coffee shop. That have kind of forgotten what it's like to be kids again. And even just how to have a conversation with somebody that's younger than you. Until they send in the six and seven year olds, the experts at relationships. Take a look. (laughs)
1: Hi Hello Hello My name is Leila Mm. Are you here with your parents or? Yeah with my my mum Are you shy or (laughs) something? (laughs) No It's kind of boring having a tea or coffee by yourself You need somebody to talk to Why are you wearing a hat? How much money do you have? Why is your hair white? It's a bit like the trees in autumn, you know, you could ask the tree, why are your leaves brown? <laughs> do you mean in the bank or? Like your pocket money and stuff like that. £560 a month for pension. Wow. If you had that, what would you do? I would get a dog and get a house and swimming pool and go next factor. Do you have Netflix? Nothing like that. I've just got a radio. We normally play bulldog. You still play bulldog. Yeah. I remember playing that. Peter Papa picked a pack of pickled peppers. Peter, Piper, picked a. Where are your friends and where they are Um, right now? Some of my friends are abroad. I was born in Jamaica, so a lot of my friends are there, you know. I mean, I'm new in London. Well, I've had hundreds and thousands of friends. At the moment, I've got got a lot of Facebook friends. Well, maybe I can sit with you and have some coffee, yeah? You like coffee? Yeah. Do you? What's your favourite? Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Why can't everybody be friends? <laughs> That's a good question. It's not as easy as that, really. It's, I couldn't walk up to somebody in here and say, would you like to play with me? That'd be a bit strange. I think everyone should talk to everybody. That's the nicest thing I've heard all day. You've really made my day. Making friends is easier than eating chocolate. I think everyone in the world should have one big party and become friends.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you can clap for that, absolutely. I think everybody in the world should have one big party and become friends. And maybe if we could look past the color of our skin, or our age, or our season of life, our ethnicity, our church hurt, our backgrounds, wherever you've come from, maybe that's what God designed the church to be all along, and we've just made it really, really complicated and leave it up to the kids with a childlike faith to teach us that. Making friends is easier than eating chocolate, folks. And maybe we'll get a glimpse of that in just under a week with Vacation Bible School. And I don't want you to miss it, and more importantly, your heavenly Father doesn't want you to miss it because it just might be the thing that fans the flame of your faith that you've been missing for the last year and a half. That would that would maybe just get you back in the race. And we will never reach our full potential as a church until we get out of our way, our own way, until we get out of our comfort zone and connect with people of different generations and different races and different backgrounds that live differently and talk differently and vote differently than us and become what God intended for the church to be one body body, united in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? We will never reach our full potential. And let's run together. (laughs) Let's run together and let's pass that baton. you got to be in the race if you're going to be a part of the baton passing. And there are hundreds of Timothys that are going to be at Vacation Bible School that are going to be waiting for adults to show up and be present. And maybe even more importantly than that, there are hundreds and thousands of Timothys of people that just need somebody that are out there in our city, in these very neighborhoods around our church that are waiting to see what is this church all about? Are we gonna stay inside the four walls? Are we gonna be the kind of church that goes out and puts our arms around them and say, why don't you come to worship with me? Why don't you join my small group? Why don't you come over to my patio and we'll grill out and we'll have dinner together? Could I have a relationship with you? Could I follow the lead of kids and could I go over to your table? We have nothing in common. But I tell you this, we have the most important thing common. Our hearts beat for Jesus Christ. That's what this church has been about, is about, and will be about forever. That's what God's called us to do as a church. Hope Elam, it's time to get back in the race. It's time to run and pass the baton. Amen? Wherever you're at, online, in the room, let's stand up. And I'm going to invite our worship team out to lead us as we close in worship together. Let's sing.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.